I'm Dr. Gene Hensler, and you're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. For more than 25 years, my associates and I have been providing straightforward, no-nonsense advice for your financial questions. Email us at drgene at hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, March 3rd, correction from uh, January 26th. If you measure down to uh, February 8th, uh, the market was lower than it is right now. So uh, we've just been seeing volatility kick back and forth. Uh, But we've seen that 10%. So uh, uh, talk about it all the time. We have normal market cycles. Yeah, it really is. Uh, We have one of those uh, once a year, right? On average. average. Yeah, a little little less frequently than once a year. It's like 1.2, 1.3 years. So, uh, but, you know, who's arguing, right? Close enough. Uh, they're, they're, I mean. Well, when was the last time we had a 10% decline? Uh, from. This most recent one. Yeah, so it started in. January uh, last year? Or no? no. No, it was uh, Fall? December of 15, 15 into February 11th was the bottom of that market in uh, 2016. So yeah. uh, it's been about two years. Um, you know, if you just wanted to round it out, a couple of years on the. The volatile, uh, the volatility cycle, which is uh, longer than we would have expected to wait, um, but we're still well above the. You know, when we when we look at the market, we're really um, not doing too bad. You look over a 12-month period, and we're almost 12% higher. So, um, you know, I'd, I've talked about it until uh, sooner or later. It, it won't be true, but at the moment. Um, the market is still at a pretty significant premium, about 32 percent mm-hmm. uh, higher than its long-term average when you measure by price-to-earnings ratio. We're about through earnings season, right? Trey? We are, yeah, and we actually have lots of good numbers on earnings. Uh, if you look at, uh, and this is fourth quarter earnings, been reporting uh, over the last few weeks, uh, 479 of the S&P 500 have reported 14.45 percent. Earnings growth, uh, you look at technology, 22.45% growth. Energy, 
114.83. Those wow. are some easy comps, we call them, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty easy comps, but you're right, Shauna. Wow. Um, utilities up 11.5% uh, on earnings. Um, All those really strong numbers. Yeah, everything's positive. Like I say, the overall average, 14.45%. So uh, not bad numbers at all. You look at the surprises, um, I guess this was, uh, it's very light in surprise. Um, on the negative side, um, 3.84% on the market overall. Uh, you know, probably the biggest surprise that we saw was in consumer discretionary, better than 9.5%. And that's on a sector that's, you know, growth was only 10.3%. So, um, uh, you know, it's funny when you say only 10.3%. I mean, that's pretty solid numbers on a, on a quarterly earnings. Um, you know, we dig into a little deeper into the, the numbers on, uh, returns. Past week, we've seen a negative 0.77% decline. Um, almost everything's negative except for information, information technology. technology and utilities is right, right there. Right close. I guess that's technically so. flat, right? Yeah. That's as close as you're going to get to flat, I think. <laughs> that's, that's about as close as it gets, no doubt. Um, you look over year to date, markets up 0.35%, information technology. Uh, up almost 6%. Uh, consumer discretionary financials, healthcare follow at 43 1.6, and 0.14% higher. From there, it's all negative. Industrials down 0.72, down to real Look estate. Look at real estate. Wow, just falling like a rock, 9.23%. That's Why a sophomore that slump for real estate, don't you think? Is that Isn't it? this the second year that they've been included as a separate sector? That is, yeah. <laughs> well, you can call it that, I guess. The sophomore slump. What's really hitting it, though, is uh, interest rates. Interest yeah. rates Going go higher. I mean, most real estate is uh, sales. It's leveraged, so it, uh, it it does slow the sales. Well, Sean, we're in I mean, a we're in a real interesting dynamic here with the market, just being that the we we just saw the earnings have been very good, uh, and the market is becoming more volatile, and it's really becoming more volatile as a function of the. Uh, the expectations for an improved economy, right, to some extent. I mean, we're well, thinking that we're going to get more growth in the economy, which is going to warrant some higher interest rates from the Fed, which is going to s- slow the economy back down, and the yeah. stock market is trying to price all that in. Right, and usually the Fed is going to raise interest rates due to um, inflation. inflation. Sure. Uh, we did get the PCE deflator this week, which is uh, usually released as a portion of uh, GDP. Uh, GDP was uh, up uh, 2.5%, but that's actually just a bit lower than the 2.6 that was uh, announced last month. We get three estimates of uh, GDP growth per quarter. This is uh, fourth quarter numbers that we're still getting. Um, and uh, you see that it was actually expected to tick down just a little bit. Now, uh, the one thing I will say, and I talked to you guys about it yesterday, um, the Atlanta Fed makes an estimate of first quarter. They make an estimate of every quarter, but uh, they made an estimate of first quarter, you know, a month ago. Uh, it was 5.4%. I checked it before I came up here. Guess what? 2.57. Wow. It has fluttered quickly back to earth like a rock. When did they make the 5 point? Well, they, they make those estimates, you know, uh, it's you can get a daily number, but it's not really the true estimate. But uh over the last month, they've made two or three, and they've come down a little as they went, but uh, that's a, the one that's from a two days big, ago. Pretty yeah. big drop. Yeah, um, so uh, we're we're actually down back around that 2.6 that we saw for fourth quarter first estimate. So 
Um, you know, I guess if you want to throw all the news together, we've got inflation that seems relatively in check. The PCE deflator, I referenced it, but I don't think I ever gave you a number. So it was 1.7%. The Fed's target is 2%. Um, you know, we got CPI coming out. The headline is 2.1, but you look at the, look at the details after you pull out the core is what we call it. You pull out uh, energy and uh, food. food. And you wind up with, I think it's 1.8 right now. So what so. you're saying is, is it's not going up as fast. And it, so are the, do you think interest rates won't tick up as much as we thought this well, year? Well, you know what? It, the Fed keeps telling us they're data dependent, and they've proven that. Uh, if I look at the options uh, implied probabilities right now, um, it tells me that we're likely to have a rate increase in March this month. Uh, we'll have one in June, and then we'll probably have another in November. So uh, we've fluctuated between November of 18 and maybe as late as January when we first started seeing some of these declines. Uh, and the first declines in the market starting, you know, that basically the first week in February, mm -hmm. uh, they were based on the fact that we were starting to see some inflationary numbers coming through on wages. 2.9% uh, was enough to scare the market to to uh, reverse course. That was just while. an estimate, though, right? That, that's not the actual absolutely. wage growth. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we didn't really see a, a true uh, inflationary measure. We just had somebody, uh, they gave us an estimate, and uh, the market kind of spooked. And um, But we've also seen interest rates rise, Sean. You, you know, you, you had said that earlier. Uh, the way this all works, I mean, obviously, inflation is that costs are right. increasing. The way that the Fed keeps those in check is to raise interest rates. Well, what it actually does is when you've got corporations, um, the uh, the inflationary pressures means that their expenses are increasing. Uh, so the Fed compounds that by increasing their cost of capital. Mm -hmm. uh, both of these things actually negatively impact profits over the short term, right? We'll overlap that with tax cuts, though, so maybe net-net. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, we still we still have a lot of folks that are that are um, very hopeful. Uh, we did get numbers about that this week. Uh, the other thing the is companies can, can combat that inflation a little bit by raising prices so they get higher the revenue. Yeah. I mean, that's why we feel like stocks are a, are a pretty decent hedge against inflation sure. over the long run because they'll be able to participate in the increase in prices, which will grow their revenue faster. And that's the absolutely the truth, Casey. In fact, if Hurt you want your cash flow, it increases your portfolio, right? Yeah. If, if you have the wherewithal to, uh, to wait over a longer period of time while you're invested, uh, the, the best thing you can do is invest in some of those sectors that actually are capable of passing on the price. Who is that? Um, usually consumer staples, healthcare, the things that we're going to buy no matter what the price is. Um, but, uh, you know, when we when we look out there, KC, that is the best way to beat inflation is invest in stocks, and you just described it to a T. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I think we probably ought to take a real quick break, and uh, when we get back, we will have a dog of the week, and we'll talk about some fun financial stuff. Y'all stick around. You're listening to Money Talks.
Dog of the week this week. Uh, we're actually talking really more about chickens than dogs. I uh, don't know if you guys heard. This came out of the Sun, the UK edition. Uh, seems as if uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, good old KFC, ran out of chicken. How uh, in the world do you run huh? out of chicken? They got about 900 stores in the UK, uh, and they had to close 600 of them earlier in the month because they supposedly, and and the company has actually taken uh, taken credit for their issues, but uh, they had made a recent deal with uh, uh, DHL, the delivery, the package delivery company in uh, uh, Europe, and uh, within four months, uh, DHL proved that uh, maybe they hadn't, um, I guess, planned well enough for what was going on because they got to where they could not deliver chicken to KFC. Um, wouldn't think DHL would be the one delivering the chickens. I didn't know that that was in there. Well, they deliver packages, frozen, frozen or not, packages. I guess. So uh, while they do look different here in the U.S., I, I think that is the situation there. Uh, you know, that's kind of their home turf. Um, but uh, they uh, KFC would put a sign in the window basically telling folks, you know, we, we're out of stock. We don't have anything to sell you. Uh, some Mashed of the stores, potatoes, though, and biscuits, I, don't people like that? Do they have that in the KFC? And, I think they I, do, I actually. I've even heard a story this week that uh, they were low on gravy as well. So, um, But anyway. The, Bangers the, and mash, come on. <laughs> well, we got that. You, you say that as a joke. They actually did pivot. Some of the stores actually tried to stay open under a limited menu so they wouldn't have chicken, but... Uh, but they would have, um, you know, they various don't sell other anything things. besides chicken insides, yeah, right? Corn on the cob. I think you can probably have corn and beans. Like, come on in. Like for bring a, your own meat to dinner. Yeah, you have a to vegetable lunch. plate. Uh, but I think really what makes it not so much a dog of the week was how the company handled it. Well, number one, like I say, they did come out and say it was their their uh, cutting teeth with a new um, delivery company, and DHL stood up and said, you know what, it was us. You'll have to excuse us. But uh, KFC also basically apologized publicly. Uh, they've got a, a sign, if you want to go find it on the, on the Internet, I'm sure you can, but uh, basically it says the chicken crossed the road just not to our restaurants. Uh, and nice. uh, they, they made these on Twitter. They, they put them out on social media. But the one that was probably even better uh, is one that uh, instead of KFC on the bucket, it shows an empty bucket with the colonel's face on it. And uh, it, it kind of jumbles those letters around. And I'll let you go on the Internet and figure that one out. But it says uh, chicken restaurant without chicken uh, is not ideal. Huge apologies to our customers, specifically those who traveled out of their way to find that we were closed. Uh, in, in the aftermath of the company putting this uh, sign basically on, on social media, they were inundated with, uh, with likes and, and people saying, you know what, it is frustrating, but the fact that this company can stand up and say, make we're fun of sorry. Themselves. Yeah, they made fun of themselves. <laughs> they owned but they it. Also, they they owned really it. did. Yeah. But, uh, you have to do something at that point. Yeah, but uh, you, you can't know, be a chicken place and not have chicken. Uh, exactly, and like I say, 300 thereabouts of your 900 stores in the UK are closed because you don't have chicken. I mean, that's kind of a dog of the week, I think. Yeah, that's I, I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the thing it is is uh, is good is the fact that they were able to pivot that. They apologized, owned the mistake, 
uh, moved on. I think they figured it out now. Everything's back up and running, or at least 80%, I think, when I last looked. So uh, came out this week, KFC out of chicken. 80%. So if you get there early, 80% of the people can get chicken. Is yeah, that what's that? 80% <laughs> of 900 is about 720 stores. That's so they're, good. Yeah, they're getting back. They're, they're getting it figured out. But uh, anyway, KFC, don't... Uh, you might not want to go there and look for the chicken in the U.K., but uh, like I say, they're, they're getting it ironed out. Um, so, guys, we have a situation, I like to call them, that uh, we wanted to talk about this week. Uh, Continuing on the tax theme. Yes, absolutely. Who Breaking can, it down. Who could ever go away from taxes, Shauna? <laughs> Nobody this time can, of year, right? Can Redmond, can hide. Yeah, no doubt. Um, uh, but, but we've got all kind of things. So we've got uh, new changes Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, concerning alimony payments. Big changes in alimony. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'll leave it right there and let you, Shauna, pick it up. Sure. KC, one of you KC can jump in. This is Shauna's area of of expertise here. I've I've got the broad broad knowledge. Shauna's focused on the the divorce planning with her CDFA. I am. I am. Um, Big changes this year, after this year. So... For in the past, what you've been able to do, if you pay alimony, the person paying it takes a deduction on their tax return and the individual receiving the alimony claims it as income on their tax return. So going forward after 2018, that is no longer the case. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who files for divorce this year or legal separation this year and before are grandfathered into that tax situation i don't so i don't know it, if it's a break it depends either way but it doesn't start until after until like correct. 2019 or correct something. okay that is absolutely correct so i'm wondering if everybody will file for divorce now or what, yeah. what the well, divorce rates which, are going to spike depends on which side you're on i sure. mean if you're the person receiving the alimony that would be a, a benefit to you right right because you don't um, have to pay tax on it but, but <laughs> okay but uh, you know you can't also if that person today if you make if you pay tax on it, you can use that as earned income, if you will, to make right. an IRA contribution and put, tuck money away. You won't be able to do that any longer. And it's a, I mean, it's a big problem because it was a, an above-the-line deduction. So right. it, it, it impacted your AGI, which impacts other deductions and your ability to take them and things like that. So it was a very powerful deduction, I guess, for those people that were paying alimony um, that is no longer going to be the case. So, you know, there, there might be reasons for – both parties, I guess, that could right. find uh, some reason to, to go ahead and file this year uh, while you still can. But um, it's, it's definitely a big change. Well, and also, too, you know, I, I don't know this to be the case, but I presume that, you know, lawyers look at, okay, well, if they're going to have to pay so much in tax, then they should get a bigger amount right. because, you know, they're not really getting that much. And so this may be that you get less. And so net net, the person receiving it is the same right. potentially not necessarily better off in the future just because you're not uh having to include it in income well definitely the person paying it is worse off right. they don't get that deduction and they're For paying sure. it anyway so but they might have it's to like pay. a roth ira that doesn't give anything back right <laughs> yeah well how much do you guys assume that people sit around i mean you know obviously the relationships faltering or whatever how much do you think they sit around and try to plan their divorce around the financials or taxes? Well, that's where you—that's where your attorneys and your planners come in. And well, and it's hard to look at that when you're in an emotionally situation too. Of but, course. but I mean, you know, that's where the CDFAs come in and the, C, you know, CFPs to look at the financial consequence of it. You know, it's very important. You sure. know, let's say you're splitting up assets and. 
you know, you give this asset to half, okay, they want the house, they get the account. Well, you get a house that's not cash flow. There's nothing to spend from, you know, so you have to look at, sure. and that's an extreme example, you have to look at the financial consequences of it. Yeah. Um, but And we are talking about a, a stream of cash flows even here if you're talking about taxation, right? Oh, yeah. Whether or not somebody no can can uh, write that off. So Absolutely. it can be very important. I think I think that's probably the... the uh, the key to this, the fact that, uh, yeah, it is easy enough to get caught up in the emotions of the situation, but if you have those advisors behind you who are thinking more clearly probably than you in the midst of a situation like this that is so emotionally charged, uh, you can actually save yourself a lot of grief going forward when those emotions are gone. Right, because yeah. after the fact, you know, obviously you can refile, and but it's going to be difficult to do. Also, too, I wonder how many people really get alimony anymore with the double income homes. And, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's still situations. Oh, sure, absolutely, but probably not as many as there were in, in the 50s. past year. Right? <laughs> the problem is, how many divorces were there in the 50s? True, true enough. Too many. I think true it, enough. Was, it was more of a stigma uh, <laughs> having that right. socially yeah. than, right. uh, than you would find today. But uh, You're absolutely right. Anyway, now folks will, you know, once in a while you make a mistake and they'll Go right on and correct it. But mm-hmm. uh, no matter what, it's always a very tough emotional time, and those are usually the, the reasons that the professionals are best. I mean, even just from regular financial planning, we try to eliminate the emotions of right. market roller coaster, right? You know, right. when people decide, hey, I want off. Right. You have to reel them back in and tell them, wait a minute. Remember when we planned, we told you that the market goes up and down as long as we have a plan for your long-term uh, you know, you, ride you, you should, out. yeah, you should be able to deal with this, and and it too will change. Well, and it just it doesn't only impact people getting divorced, but it impacts people who are getting married if they're looking at filing a prenuptial agreement or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be factored know, in, as you mentioned earlier. The attorneys are looking at the tax difference between the person who's receiving the alimony and the person who's paying it. Um, so that'll go into the the prenuptial agreement as well, because a lot of times they factor that in. Mm-hmm. Uh, is in the case of a divorce, how much alimony would be due to the person. Um, that would be receiving it. So all of those are, are going to be interesting things that, that come up as a result of this change to the tax bill. I'm, yeah. curi- I'm curious to see if divorce rates spike, though. Hopefully uh, not. You, you wouldn't expect not. it. Really? I mean, I, I don't think. Hopefully don't people know. aren't Just looking at it strictly from a financial <laughs> point of view, but, hey. Yeah, I would hope that there more goes into sure. that decision than just uh, finances. But they are important, no doubt. Listening to Money Talks, we'll be right back. Broadcasting from atop the Hensler Financial Building in the heart of Georgia's financial district, Kennesaw, Georgia, this is Money Talks. We're back. You guys like some George and Wheezy? Gotta love oh, some yeah. George I mean, They were, they oh, were yeah. an awesome couple, right? You never want to consider that George and Wheezy might be getting a divorce. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. Wouldn't you wish go. that on them. Oh, heck no. Anyway, they seem so happy, although, you know, physically maybe a mismatch. You look at them a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we've got... Uh, George has alienated <laughs> our millennial audience. Why, why is that? I'm just saying. George and Weezy. George and Weezy. I mean, Do you know who they're they tough. I know who they are. You're a millennial George and Weezy. I'm on up. I quit throwing that in my face. 
Wow. I've got gray hair, all right? That exempts me from millennial status. He's grandpa millennial. <laughs> grandpa? <laughs> yeah. He's like the oldest millennial. I didn't mean to throw it in your face. Yeah. Well, I'm just joking. I'm sorry. I, I embrace it. I'm just telling you, man, I still like the Jeffersons. I don't care if somebody younger than me doesn't know who they are. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into some of these questions we have. And before we do that, let's uh, let folks know how they can get in touch with us. Uh, you can email us at drgene at hensler.com. That's spelled H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. Uh, Dr. Gene, D-R-G-E-N-E. Um, if you want to give us a call and talk to a human being, you can call 770-429-9166. You can also call our question hotline 1-855-429-9166. Uh, leave your question. Uh, it'll be recorded. We'll play it back on the air and then uh, answer the question right behind it. So um, you can also go to our website, Hensler.com. Uh, you might be able to work out some of your uh, answers to your own questions if uh if they're broad enough, you know, not terribly specific, uh, we've got lots of uh, information on there to help you do just that. So, guys, uh, let's go to uh, our good friend, Bill Murray, who uh, says, my father is age 92, spending down his assets for nursing care expenses. His portfolio consists of 84% Vanguard's total stock market index, VTSAX, as well as 16% Vanguard real estate index. Uh, the real estate index is a taxable account year-to-date. His real estate index is down 10%, while the broad market is up 3%. I know all that changed maybe this week uh, in the meantime after you've sent us the question, but uh, says, should we keep the real estate or sell it in order to buy something else? Maybe Vanguard Global X U.S. REIT, um, maybe something entirely different. So, uh, before I get into the details of um, any of that, Casey, surely you have an opinion on just how exactly we ought to do. Yeah, let, let's this. let's go to the uh, the firm philosophy, the ten year rule. Um, I mean, if, if he's drawing down the assets, then I would think there is a need for some fixed income in there somewhere. Um, you know, he's currently allocated 100% in growth investments. It looks like so, um, based on that something entirely different would be putting some allocation of fixed income based on how much money sure. we think he's going to need in the next 10 years. And the reason we do that is because of volatility. It's uh, the change in price and the assets that you hold. Uh, obviously, equities or stocks uh, can be very volatile. Just as we came into this, you know, this uh, show today talking about how the market was up almost 8% at one point this mm -hmm. year, this very short two-month-old year. Uh, we've since lost 10%. Uh, we rallied back a little bit, and we're losing it again today. I mean, this is volatility. This is the kind of stuff that uh, while none of us embrace it as investors, uh, we all understand that it happens. Uh, you just don't want to be stuck in a position where we get to, a, you know, 2008 and the market's down 50%, and yeah. you got to go sell to mm -hmm. cover your living expenses. Exactly. And, and you know, if, if a 92-year-old individual has 16% of their assets – and even in real estate, and they've fallen so hard, you know, 10% year-to-date, uh, you know, it's uh, – here's my take on it from an investor point of view as well. Just raw investments, thinking about exactly what's driving real estate lower, it's, uh, as we talked earlier, a lot of it is interest rates. Interest rates and yeah. uh, what what is expected for the rest of the year? Interest rate increases. Uh, you know, we just said the options market tells us we've got three more to come this year. Um 
whether that comes true or not, uh, I will assure you that uh, one or the other of those two funds is going to get beaten up. So, you know, if we decide that we're going to pull the plug on interest rate uh, increases, what does that say? That says the economic fundamentals have fallen apart so badly uh, that how much more hope is left in the stock market? Right. That's Either the thing. way. Either I mean, way, you're in trouble with the real right. estate. Well, and the Vanguard total stock market has been up generally, just given what the it market's is. done. So you yeah. could trim some from there, put that into fixed income, sell sure. the real estate, take your loss and invest it in something you think is going to rebound. Right. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, for, it says it's in a taxable account, so that's a, definitely a, something to look sure, at. Sure. So you can offset yeah, some of the gains offset. of selling to go to bonds a little bit for right. your withdrawals. Yeah, we don't know what his basis is in the real sure. estate, even though it's down 10% year to date. Fair. Who knows when he bought it. But yeah, fair. and it could be in a retirement account. Too. That's not really laid out, right? Yeah, it says it's in a taxable account. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I missed that part. Maybe but. I should read a little better. I, I was you read the, the question out loud. I wasn't pretty sure. You should listen better. Maybe I should listen to myself. <laughs> listen to yourself. Yeah. Wow. I get a rebuke <laughs> in the middle of an answer. How about that? <laughs> Thanks, Casey. At least we are arguing with yourself. I'm sure it's not the first time. Well, probably, probably not probably the first time the I haven't either. listened to myself as I was saying something either. All right. So uh, moving on, now that I've taken that beating. Um, we do have a question here on our question hotline, and uh, why don't we just go on and do that one? Here we go. Hey, my name is Jason, and NVIDIA keeps making the news headlines on my newsfeed. Quickly looking at it, it seems like there's another, another tech stock. Is there something special about this I should be watching? Jim Cramer likes it, but he also said Intel is cheap right now. Thanks. Yeah, well, uh, Jim Cramer says a whole lot of things. Bye, bye, bye. Yeah. He'll tell you that about one one day and maybe sell the next day. It's uh, you know, I'll that's what give this it, show is missing is some hot keys. We need some sound effects, well, and crazy explosions and whatnot. Yeah, I'm sure that would make it a whole lot better. I'm telling you, uh, yeah, nothing like having a noisemaker that seconds as a radio show. <laughs> anyway, uh, when I look at the two companies, yes, absolutely, we're talking about, um, you know. Two companies, technology, they're not new. Um, Long-term growth expectations on NVIDIA, 12.67. You look at earnings growth over the past five years, they're up 33.7%. You look at uh, Intel, which, uh, you know, we like this company, especially for the fact that it's got a a good solid dividend. Growth uh, expected a good bit lower, 8.5%. Over the past five years, uh, earnings have grown at about 10%, so the growth story is not quite as good. Um, but then you look at uh, the fact that it does have a dividend, 2.6% dividend thereabouts, uh, and it's covered 2.4 times by the earnings. Uh, I really like that. Uh, NVIDIA, not to be shorted, does actually pay a little dividend, 0.27% yield. Uh, covered very well, 6.5 times, but it's not hardly enough dividend to talk about the fact that you get a dividend. So uh, uh, overall, I guess uh, you know it, it depends on um, what you're looking what you're looking for. I think if you're looking for something that looks more reasonably priced, I'd go with Intel for sure. Um, Nvidia still in the game, doing lots of uh, interesting things with uh, some of their uh, video chips and, and that sort of thing, but. Uh, you know, when I look at the the basic fundamentals on the company, I would, uh, if I'm telling you to buy one and not the other, I'm going to tell you every time, buy Intel, avoid NVIDIA. Does NVIDIA meet our criteria? They do. Yeah, both of them do. They're they're both uh, pretty solid companies. You know, their uh, earnings quality is is uh, within our our uh, standard. Um, 
you know, like I say, uh, the biggest thing that I like, it's pretty rare to find a uh, tech stock that pays you a pretty solid dividend. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do recommend it in our equity income portfolio. So uh, it's it's in that group, uh, a portfolio that actually has done quite well for quite a while now. So uh, uh, it's pretty widely loved around here. So, uh, guys, we've got enough time probably to get another question out here. If you would like, we can talk about Beverly from Ballground, uh, who says, I turned 70 and a half in January 2018. Uh, I understand I need to start taking my RMDs. Uh, that's required minimum distribution in 2018. Saw an article that said, uh, use your age uh, as of December 31, to determine the divisor from the life expectancy tables. Man, is that ever confusing, huh? Uh, since I'll be 71 on December 31, 2018, will I use the divisor for age 71 or the divisor for age 70, uh, my age on December 31, 2017? In the same article, an advisor was talking about a man with the same issues turning 70 and a half uh, in 2018 and said that he needed to take two RMDs in 2018. I'm assuming one for the age 70 divisor and one for 71. Here's your question, Casey. You've been waiting on this? Yeah. This Do is I need to take two RMDs? Which divisor am I supposed to use for a single RMD? I want to make sure I'm not penalized. Very important point, right? Uh, for uh, not taking the correct amount, and I don't want the taxes to be impacted on... Uh, Two RMDs, if I can avoid it. So what's your advice? So I don't know if I've got time to answer the whole question. I'll, I'll tell you the penalty part is key because if you don't take the right amount, the penalty is 50% on the amount that you don't take. So Casey, let's, let's take a real quick break, and we can flesh this out in just yeah. a minute. How about that? Sounds good. You're listening to Money Talk. Stick around. We'll be right back. Listening to Money Talks, KC. Yes, sir. When we left off, you were about to drop the knowledge on us that we've all been waiting for. Oh man! How much do we take Put on, me on the RMD? Spot. You did some math behind this, right? I did, and this is an interesting question and one that we get, you know, relatively frequently because it is confusing. So the the required beginning date for a mandatory withdrawal is age seventy and a half, or the year that you turn age seventy and a half. So if it's not 70, it, 70 and a half. Couldn't they have made it clear? Uh, yeah. Maybe. So basically, if you're born on June 30th, 1947, you would have turned 70 and a half in 2017 because you you would have been 70 and 70 and a half in the same year. And if you were born July 1st or after 1947, you don't turn 70 and a half until 2018, this year. So your required distribution begins this year in 2018. Now, you have up until April of the year following the year you turn 70 and a half. I know. Have I lost anybody yet? No. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> so right with you. But I, we do this for a living now. Your mandatory withdrawal. <laughs> so you can delay up until April of the year following the year you turn 70 and a half. Year following the year. However, if Not you do that, you would have to take two in that year. So in other words, if I turn 70 and a half in, eight, in 2018, like Beverly here from Ballground, 
then I would have to take my mandatory withdrawal by April of 2019. I can take it in 2018, um, and we generally recommend that people do that for the most part because that way you avoid having to take two the following year. If she delayed till April of 2019, she could take take one, you know, anytime before April 1st, 2019. She would have to take her second 2019 RMD by the by December 31st, 2019. And it's all taxable income. It's all, all taxable it. income. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are rare cases when it makes sense to to defer. Such um, as if you're still working and you're going to retire this year and your income's higher exactly. and, you know, things like that. Yeah, depending on where your tax tax bracket is and things like that. But um, for the most part, you know, we generally recommend, you know, the average client, go ahead and take your 2018 RMD. If this is your first year, go ahead and take it. Now, getting back to the to the point of, uh, you know, someone born, let's say, let's say you've got two people, identical portfolios, and let's just call it a million dollars. I did some math here. I know y'all are surprised. Um, so two people, one born on June 30th, 1947, would have taken their first RMD. Their first RMD would have been for 2017. Another person born July 1st, 1947, so their first RMD is not due until 2018. If they were to each start with a million-dollar portfolio, and you assume, let's assume a 10% growth rate just to start with, then who do you think is going to be better off? I mean, I would think the person that gets to defer that RMD for a whole extra year is going to be better off. Sure. And and I'd be right about that, but only for like the first 10 years. Assuming. Assuming that they take their rate. distribution, you know, on early, let's say they take the distribution on January 1st of the year that they're required to take it. So 2017 RMD, take it on January 1st, 2017. 2018 RMD, January 1, 2018. If you do a, just a, a linear growth, 10% a year, you know, the, the break-even point is at age 79, so about you know, nine years, nine, ten years um, before you break even. And then it flips on you. So then the person who actually uh, took their RMD earlier, so the person born before June 30th, uh, in 1947 would be better off after that until it flips again, like in, you know, age 108. 108, yeah, ripe so, old age of 108. Now, that all, a lot of that has to do with the growth rate. I mean, if you assume a lower growth rate, then the the period of time where the person who delayed taking their RMD uh, is better off is longer. So if right. you make and, it 5%. Don't, don't you, know. you figure that that's what exactly has happened? The, the IRS put this chart together, assuming that the growth in that retirement account is going to be lower. Around what did you did you come to a number? That yeah, I mean, if you if you drop it all the way down to about two percent, um, there's really no no point. I say no point. It'd be about 118, 119, <laughs> where you would break even. A basically. long time from so 70 and a half. Right? It's just interesting that they they've made such a a difference. You know, when, if you go back to that 10 percent growth rate, the at age 100, the difference is. About almost two hundred thousand dollars between taking it, um, you know, just deferring your RMD for one year. Yeah. So, so basically, what you're telling me, Casey, is a self-avowed finance geek, is that the IRS put together this chart based on about a two percent growth rate, and they assumed that the person that took theirs later would never be worse off than the one who had to take theirs earlier. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that – I assume that probably factored in. I, I, they're clearly using a much lower expectation for growth than 10%. Um, I mean, and 2% is what gets you down to – I would think they would they would want to equalize it 
relatively, uh, I mean, across the board. If you get people born one day apart, uh, it, it seems strange that they could be impacted that much just on when they're forced to take their distributions. But Interesting. That's uh, – yeah. And you could figure Finance out what the government the was day. thinking, too. That's I don't know about that. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> did you say you could decipher whether the government was thinking or not? Is that what I heard you say, Sean? Well, well I know the it. answer to that. <laughs> yes, they're not. Okay. Well, uh, there was obviously some thought put behind that. No, there's probably people a lot smarter than I am that put these charts together and they're oh, called yeah. actuaries. But yeah, I was going to say that you have to take 10 <laughs> tests to do that. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, we do have another question here. Um, got a, a note here. Bill Lako's column was published on uh, Sean Hannity's site this week, and we got a question via Twitter from Chip, uh, a.k.a. Big Poppy, in Hawaii. He says, uh, I hope we are wrong, but I think next tax season will be pretty nasty. And the question is, now that the stock market is up, is it the best time to increase 401K contributions to shield some money to lower the taxable income? I think no matter what the situation, it's probably always a good idea to save for retirement. And uh, the fact that the government allows you to uh, uh, shelter some of that from your income, really all you're doing is you're deferring the tax until you have to take it at 70 and a half like we just went through that exercise. So uh, you guys got So even if the stock market's higher, you're putting money in. So he's saying maybe, you know, you're buying when it's higher, but you're also saving tax. And if you think tax rates are going to go up in the future – and the market's going to go up in the future, it's still a good long-term investment tax play, investment yeah. and tax play. Yeah, we talk about the 10-year rule all the time on this show, and, and the reason that we have a 10-year rule instead of, you know, say a six-year rule is because there's only been, what, two rolling 10-year periods sure. since 1926 where the market hasn't been higher in 10 years than it was in the beginning of the period. Yeah, and it was 11 years. Yeah. And it was 11 at that point. A lot of the basis for our uh, our um, philosophy, our financial philosophy is is uh, statistics, and uh, these are all historical facts about the market. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go back in time and, and determine uh, just how long you could uh, you could invest in the market, how long your time horizon would have to be where you wouldn't lose money or would, were not very likely to lose money, and then you know we go forward and, and try to alleviate the fears and, and emotions from individuals. Uh, because we know the market is inherently volatile. Yep. You know, strange things happen. News breaks. Think about what's happened over the last uh, 80-some years, 93 years, I think it is, uh, since 1925. Um, what all has happened? We had a Great Depression in 29. couple of world wars. Yeah. We've had, I mean, Korean conflict, Vietnam, even more recently, you know, some of the stuff. 9-11. In the Gulf, 9-11. We've had presidents impeached. Uh, Mr. Nixon, uh, many, recession. many recessions, including the one in 2008 you're referring to. The Great Shona. Recession. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, particularly bad, 52% decline, and guess what? We're up we higher. We're yeah. higher, and, and that's the, the point that we would make to Chip here is that, you know, if, if you're not going to need the money for 10 years, it doesn't really matter when you buy. I mean, this more than likely it's going to be higher when you actually go to, to cash it in to spend it. Yeah. Well, and it is um, a tax break for you. It is and a tax break. So, for sure. a, a lot of taxes are going down when we're looking at, just depending on what tax bracket you're in. But it is a tax shield for you. 
um, that can help you save money now. Of course, you'll pay later. But, yeah, yeah. But I know, mean, and, what it does, it encourages us all instead mm-hmm. of consuming every dime we make. It encourages mm-hmm. us to save some back so that we can have it later when we might not be capable of working. Well, yeah. and especially if you have an employer match or something oh, like that, you have to look at yeah. that too. No doubt, because that's, that's just free that's money. Free money. It really is. It's uh, well, it's you work free. for it, but you do. Work it's for free it. money. Right. All right, guys. Well, uh, hopefully, Chip, that answers your question, um, guys. What do you think? Market up or down? You better be quick. Shauna. Up. All right. I'm going to say down. Wow. KC's a wet blanket. I'm always up. Uh, You've been listening to Money Talks. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.